This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by State Health Commissioner Jim McDonald, who's going to talk about the governor's budget proposal. Welcome back to the show, Doctor. Glad to be here. So a recurring theme during your recent budget testimony before the legislature was that with the pace of Medicaid growth, money on the healthcare side of things is tight right now, which led to some existing programs being cut in the governor's executive budget. So I'm curious, what is the process of determining what's placed on the chopping block? Is this just a division of budget decision and you get a memo, or is the Department of Health asked to weigh in on where cuts might be made or or spending growth might be slowed? It's really about stewardship for not just next fiscal year, but fiscal year beyond, right? When you think about where we are with Medicaid, you know, in the United States, New York has one of the most broad Medicaid programs in the country. It's growing rapidly. We need it to be sustainable. So, yes, the Department of Health, of course, is involved with our decisions. This year, one of the things that's interesting, though, is you know how it works in New York. The governor presents the budget and the legislature is the critic. One of the things that happened this year, though, is the governor said, we have to find $200 million worth of savings in Medicaid. Legislature, would you like to work with me? That's about partnership. So, yes, division of budgets involved. Yes, the Department of Health is involved. But this year, the governor said, legislature, do you want to help find the the savings. How do we do this? And I I almost think of it sometimes as like pruning a rose bush. You know, if you do prune a rose bush correctly in the spring, it looks good. And I think we have to look for solutions that are actually meaningful savings without decreasing impact on people. So we actually have a savings that actually works for the future. Well, one area, though, where you did acknowledge in the testimony that was a surprise, at least you learning about it in the media, was the SUNY transformation plan. So is some of the health portion of the budget news to you when the governor starts releasing it? What's going on with downstate really wasn't part of the budget. Okay. You know, quite frankly, it's, it's not unusual for any hospital to have whatever plan they have. They don't discuss with me first what they're doing. You know, mm-hmm. There's a process to go through. You come up with your plan. You talk to the department, Office of Primary Care Health Services Management. You walk through the process. There's a process to that, but it, you know, people don't call me first and discuss their plans. You know, I do visit a lot of hospitals. You're pleasant, though. I would Thank call you. you. Yeah. you know, and, it, and don't get me wrong. Like, I do visit a lot of hospitals. I was at Upstate Medical Center this year. They talked to me about some of their challenges. I had a chance to go to SUNY Buffalo, see some of the things they're doing up there. I've been to a lot of hospitals, heard a lot about the challenges, so it's not unusual. One of the things that we're trying to find for New York is how do you transform healthcare across the state where you improve access to care for everybody in the neighborhood, improve the quality of care, and in- improve the whole care experience. You know, I think we all want the same things, right? We want safe, affordable, high-quality health care. I want it to be personal and enjoyable. And I think those things are possible. And this is where, although people were surprised, I didn't know about it. I, I wasn't surprised at all because that's common. You know, to me, what I'm looking for is, like, how do we work together to make what's proposed work for the community that are going to live there. And that's one of the things that I think about any time you think about any regulatory act. My interest is how does it benefit the community and how do I provide long-term sustainable care to the community? Those are the things I look at because I want to make sure in the end the community is protected. So another note you struck during your budget testimony was this idea that the Medicaid rates aren't necessarily as important when addressing the financial concerns of healthcare facilities compared to, say, the costs that hospitals and nursing homes have to bear, and maybe the state should be focusing more on reducing those costs. So how does the governor's budget realize cost reductions for healthcare facilities, which won't necessarily impact patient care? You know, when you think about 
what do other states do that make sense, right? Here's a simple example. 49 states let a medical assistant give a vaccine. In New York, we did that the whole pandemic, but we're the only state that doesn't allow a medical assistant give a vaccine. Why is that important? When I talk to the pediatricians, they need people to give vaccines. They can't find people. We have shortages of workforce. Well, we know there's people out there that physicians can supervise who can do something simple like giving a vaccine. It's just one example how we can, one, improve a public health outcome, increase immunizations, but actually lower costs because you can hire someone to actually do the work and get the work done by someone who's not a doctor. Another example, though, is just something simple. is like improving the scope of practice with a dental hygienist. When we have 600 million teeth in this state, it's really hard to eat fruits and vegetables without good teeth. And it's really hard to have good overall health without good teeth. So really one of the things is like if we expand the scope of practice for dental hygienists, even allow collaborative practice for dental hygienists, one of the things I heard loud and clear from federally qualified health centers and other places, we can't hire a dentist, we can't hire a dental hygienist, we just, could we find some help here? I think these are tangible solutions. But by the way, where it gets real is only 30% of adults on Medicaid have been to the dentist in the last year. Only 70% of New Yorkers have been the dentist last year. But yet, we look at one of the most common reasons why people come to an emergency department in New York, because of dental pain. So if I want to prevent people from going to an emergency department with dental pain, let me make sure I emphasize the preventive work, which is going to have your teeth cleaned every six months. And that connects back to hospitals controlling costs. So if I get prevention to work, I don't have as many people going to emergency departments, and I can help hospitals succeed. Because really what I want to do is match workflow. I think there's other things we can do to reduce costs as well, though, like license compacts. Hospitals can't hire nurses. There's nurses available. We need to let them work in New York. 41 states allow the license compact to be in their state. 40 states have joined the physician compact. So I think we need to look at that as well. Like one of the things I hear from hospitals is we'd love to open more psychiatry beds. We can't hire a psychiatrist. Why not look at that physician compact? I think that's a tangible solution of how we can affect change in the state. And I think other things we can work on is helping hospitals move throughput. In other words, sometimes your hospitals can't get patients out of the hospital. They need to move to another setting of care, nursing home somewhere else. And that you know, gets people stuck in the hospital, and that's what helps back up people in the emergency department. Love to work with hospitals on improving their throughput. You know, the health department could help partner with them to find data to do that. There's things we can do to help hospitals reduce costs that are tangible and significant. And I think that's the best place to work in a year when there's, quite frankly, a challenging budget. Because right now, it's a challenging budget. So there was a ton to unpack there, and we're going to do that in a second. But first, let me reintroduce you. Uh, for listeners just joining us, we're speaking with the health commissioner, Dr. Jim McDonald. And one of the things you talked about was the Medicaid uh, patients who are utilizing dental services. And a couple of things that we've heard from the dental community is, one, Medicaid rates uh, for dental services aren't where they should be, so I don't want to take on dental patients. And two, Medicaid patients don't necessarily show up for their appointments at the same rates as people who have commercial insurance. So how do we address those two things? Because they both could theoretically cost money. So one of the things we're offering in this budget is, and you'll see this in the 1115 waiver that was recently approved, is loan repayment for dentists who work in communities that take more than 30% of Medicaid. So there's that. I think that's a tangible example of loan repayment encouraging dentists to work in those communities. You know, as far as people not showing up for appointments... That's a problem with everybody. I think one of the things we have to acknowledge, though, is that there's just a shortage of dentists in New York. If only 70% of New Yorkers have been to the dentist in the last year, what's going on? Part of the problem is, by the way, we have seven dental schools in New York, 
but we just don't have enough dentists. But that's a sort of a national shortage. I think this gets to those issues of you've got to expand who can provide oral health care. This is where I go back to, let me help that dental hygienist have a more broader scope of practice. Let me have a chance where a dental hygienist can work in a collaborative practice. So maybe I can staff people that are federally qualified health centers. You know, Dave, one of the examples I gave too is the Tuscarora Nation. I went out to visit them. Their dental clinic was, I mean, beautiful, glorious, new equipment, Panorex equipment. They couldn't see any patients because they can't hire any staff. So we did put money in the budget this year, $4.5 million to help oral health in the nations. Because I think it's really important that tribal health be considered here. But that was an example of in, you know, in, in my good friends in the Tuscarora Nation, they're traveling an hour and a half to go to Rochester to have routine dental care. That's a barrier for everybody. And, and that's not serving our population out there both. That was a nice, tangible example of helping that community. And in terms of scope of practice in the dental space, what do you think of this idea of these hybrid dental therapists? Is that something that the state should be authorizing in the near future? I think state needs to look at that. Other states have done this, and I think it's it's. I don't think many people are familiar with the term dental therapist, but it, I wasn't like a PA for a doctor, right? In other words, a dental therapist can do some of these dental procedures supervised by the dentist. It's new, uh, but why this might be advantageous for New York is. You'd have more people entering the oral profession, and they extend the work of the dentist. So, and we'd have schools that could do this here. Other states have done this, but I think it's a nice long-term solution. And you know, I think that's something we need to look long and hard at, and think like, how do you bring new people to help us solve these existing problems? Because you really think about oral health as the gateway to your physical health. If you're going to eat a healthy diet, you need teeth to do that. And it's really important to have healthy teeth in order to have oral healthy life. So coming back to another idea that you talked about, which was this idea of taking steps to prevent costs down the road. And one example uh, that comes to my mind is spending on anti-smoking efforts, which have been relatively flat in recent years and a fraction of what the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommend a New York spend, despite the windfall we bring in from tobacco settlements and cigarette taxes. So is that an area where we could save money with more upfront tobacco control efforts? You know, I think... Our tobacco control efforts have been successful so far. We do really Could they good be more successful? Work. Well, we do a lot of media. Where I'd rather focus right now, though, is actually on vaping. I think that's an area where I'm worried more about where we are with electronic products. I'm worried about youth in particular with electronic products. So I'm excited that we're getting money from the Jewel Settlement, money from the legislature to do that. Because I think that's the audience we need to go after. When I look at the numbers, when I especially look at young people vaping, it concerns me. You know, I quite frankly worry we're becoming a culture that has to be dependent on things. And, and I worry about the nicotine dependence we have so much in our culture. So I, I think it's really important to look at where's the future. Right now, it's more into looking at vaping and how we can actually minimize that impact. And I think there's lessons we have learned from working in tobacco where we've seen some success and we can bring that over to the world of ending vaping, and particularly in children. It's not something we want kids to be doing. So you don't think, though, that there could be a substantial long-term savings from spending a few more million dollars on tobacco control to prevent potentially multi-millions, if not billions, of Medicaid spending uh, down the road? We do spend a fair amount of money on tobacco control. We are seeing about success. About $40 million dollars yeah. a year has been flat, and it's not what experts recommend. It isn't, but, it, but quite frankly, we are seeing success. But when you look at right now, what's the fire that's burning? It's vaping. And I think and that's exploding sometimes with batteries. Well, there you go, right? You know, but I think that's where I really think we have to look at what is the issue in front of us right now. We have to prioritize that. 
And that's why we have some funds that'll be good to deploy those. And after a quick break, we'll have more with the state health commissioner, Dr. Jim McDonald, and continue our conversation about what the governor's budget means for health care in New York. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation about the governor's budget proposal with the state health commissioner, Dr. Jim McDonald. So there's a rate increase in the governor's budget for in-person early intervention services. But for rural parts of the state, which often have the least access to these critical services, remote offerings are all that is available. So why not make the rate increase more broadly applicable since what is proposed isn't likely going to be enough to get new providers to open up in underserved communities? Yeah, it's interesting the way people look at this. Like, you know, quite frankly, in a challenging budget year, getting any investment at all is a win. So getting a 5% increase across the board, I was really glad to see that. Mm-hmm. We do have a 9% increase for rural providers. Now, teletherapy, telemedicine rates, you know, I mean, you're right. There's some challenges there. What we're hoping, though, is we can get more people to actually provide services to those rural areas. Early intervention is very important. And I don't know that everyone understands why it's important. We're talking about infants and toddlers. You know, we're helping kids who maybe haven't developed speech yet or some of those motor skills on time. You know, I can tell you as a pediatrician, I've seen so many kids benefit so much from early intervention. And it's like one of those things where ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. But it's one of those things where I'm glad we're investing in early intervention. You know, we'll walk through the budget negotiation process and see where that brings us here. I was just quite thankful to get the investment we got. Because during a challenging budget year, there really weren't a lot of things we could add to. This is one place that was a priority of mine. And I'm glad we could do that. I heard it from other people as well. Well, you mentioned the sort of budget process, and there's a dance that we're going to go through, which involves the legislature coming over the top with their own proposal. And a lot of these areas that we're talking about are going to end up being somewhere in the middle between what the governor proposes and what the legislature is going to propose probably in in March. So is an area like the Hunger Prevention and Nutrition Assistance Program, which is looking at a 40% cut, one of those areas where you ultimately, at the end of the day, expect funding to be restored with the legislature using its political capital to buy it back? Or is that an area where we might end up seeing a a drop in spending, even though, as you noted in a report in December, one in four New Yorkers face food insecurity right now? You know, we'll we'll see where it goes. Obviously, we want everybody to have food. You know, and food insecurity is a really important issue. You know, I think last year we served 390 million meals. It's, It's a really big number. And I think it just underscores it's not just food, it's nutritious food that we want people to have here. So we'll see where this goes. And there, it's a process, you know, and I think often you have to just look at it this way. A lot of times, legislature, the governor, Department of Health, we want the same things. How do we get there demonstrating responsible stewardship during a challenging budget year? Keep in mind, the state had to find over $4 billion in savings. There were a lot of difficult decisions that came across my desk this year. Um, and we're just going to see how the process unfolds. To help address the state's maternal mortality rates in New York, the budget includes language authorizing you to issue a standing order related to doula services, something you seemed pretty excited about when you were questioned by State Senator Samra Brook, a Rochester Democrat. Can you explain the powers you're looking to exercise there? You know, I'm the state's doctor. And really one of the things we have to say is sometimes there's something that's literally good for everybody in a certain group. 
So why not reduce all the barriers possible to make it possible? Like, for example, I issued a statewide standing order this year for COVID vaccine. I did a statewide standing order for RSV vaccine. I used the power of the commissioner to do that. What we're looking to do is change law so we can have the power of the commissioner to allow anyone who's giving birth to have access to a doula. Not everybody knows what a doula is, but think of it, quite frankly, as a non-political companion to help someone who's giving birth just, quite frankly, walk through the process of birth. It's a beautiful thing to have a doula. You know, this year I had a chance to go out and visit my friends, the Calming Doula, out in western New York. They were excited about this. I'd rather reduce barriers, though, so people don't have to go through hoops to get a doula. And quite frankly, everybody can have one. I think it's a great example of working together, addressing a need. And Senator Brook, you know, seemed excited about it. So I told my team to start working on drafting the order. I'm optimistic about this one. When we spoke in August, you said your number one priority was, quote, unquote, rebuilding the Department of Health. Does this budget make any strides in that area? Well, you know, it, it does. But actually, we have been rebuilding the Department of Health. Like when I look at my team now compared to last year, we have hundreds of more team members. I mean hundreds. It's been great to see it. You know, interesting, 25% of my staff have worked for the department less than two years. Half of my staff have worked with the department less than 10 years. We did a lot of rebuilding during 2023, and it's great to see it. A lot of new things have been added to make onboarding easier for my staff. We're doing that, but, you know, quite frankly, I have money to hire staff. That's not a barrier to me. Mm -hmm. Right now, I just, we're hiring staff, and we're still hiring staff. I'm surprised how much we've hired, uh, but we are hiring staff as well still. Is it keeping up with the rate of departures, though? Because when we spoke in August, that was the issue that you highlighted was, I brought on, I think, like 800-something people. I've lost 800-something people. In 2022, we hired 1,700 people, but it was really 850 internal promotions. Mm -hmm. But we lost 850 people and 850 new hires. So we ended up the year the same way as we started. 2023, we're positive hundreds of people. Off the top of my head, I think it's like 244, you know, for one of our product lines for state employees. And there's hundreds of other contractors have been hired. So we really are plus in 2023. I get a report every two weeks that shows me where have I made gains. You know, because what I'm trying to see is like, what does attrition look like at the New York State Department of Health? Every two weeks, I see we're adding people every two weeks in all of our different, you know, personnel lines, which is exciting to me. Well, one of the issues that came up during the budget hearing was the number of statutorily overdue reports from the Department of Health. So does your office need additional staff to take on all the studies that you're directed to do by the governor and legislature? Should they be sending you some more bodies when they're also complaining about where these things are? We do a lot of reports. Yeah. And we, we do a lot of reports on time. And yeah, there were one or two that weren't done on time and those are being addressed. They are going to be done in the next week or two. Uh, so, you know, that's on me because it's my job to make sure these reports are done on time. But isn't it the legislature's responsibility to make sure you actually have the staff to keep up with all of the different uh, mandates they assign you? No, it's my responsibility to make sure the department's properly staffed. So I'm going to own that. And, you know, we will we will get all of our reports in order and done. And, you know, sometimes reports might be late in the eye of a legislator, but we had more time. Uh, one of the issues that was brought up was a report that wasn't given. But quite frankly... We had to the end of the month to deliver one. But, you know, I'm from the Navy. I know what it's like when you have a meeting with the commanding officer. On time is five minutes late. I like everything done, not just on time, but early. So I will own that to the extent that someone wanted it sooner than they had it. And I'll own that. You know, I'm happy to do that. But we'll, we'll deliver as best we can. Any appropriations in this budget for the long-awaited study into the state's COVID response? And I guess, you know, speaking of that report, any idea when we're getting that one? 
It's not a Department of Health project. That's Department of Homeland Security. And but they don't like. Services. They don't call you up. They're not like, hey, Jim. Good news. Where things are really cooking on that there front. There were town halls recently, so I, I see progress on that. You know, but I don't have a timeline for that. You know, I've asked about it myself, and I'm told the Olson Group is working on it. Well, finally, your brother, Assemblymember John McDonald, did not exactly give you any softballs when he questioned you in the budget hearing. Is that standard for your relationship, or does he ever cut you a break? I think we have a normal brother-to-brother relationship, and it's fine. It's all good. I was glad he asked the questions he had. I thought were spot on. I think he's, he's doing what he needs to do to address the needs of his constituents, which, you know, if you ever look at his Facebook feed, mm-hmm. the guy's on Facebook every 20 minutes. I swear, two more people talking about any issue in New York. He's there with them, with a, someone taking this picture. God bless them, right? Well, boomers love Facebook. Um, unfortunately, that is all the time we have. We've been speaking with the state health commissioner, Jim McDonald. He is also a doctor. Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. Dave, it was a pleasure. Oh, and he also gave us a challenge coin of sorts. Do you want to tell us, the listeners, what I've been given? Yeah, I gave you the New York State Department of Health coin. And, it, you know, it's something I did for my staff. Uh, you know, I gave them a COVID coin. Uh, this one is the Department of Health coin, a separate coin. But it just talks about how the department's been around since 1901. And the three words that are on your coin are the department's words, resilience, determination, and excellence. Because what I'm looking for my staff is resilience, determination, and excellence. Because that's what the Department of Health is about. And the New York Mets, too? The Mets aren't on the coin, Dave. Well, thank you again, Commissioner. Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.